Well, good morning again. If you have uh, the bulletins that you received, if you would take out um, the insert um, for the notes today, um, and then if you would also mark your Bibles if these two verses are not already marked. The, the two verses that I really want to um, highlight today as part of this message are Galatians 5.22, Galatians 5.22, and Philippians 4.8. I will give you each a moment to uh, just write those down or, or mark them in your Bibles. And I'm going to encourage everybody uh, during the course of this week um, to spend daily time in those two verses because they have a lot to do with our ability to share the gospel. That is Galatians 5.22 and Philippians 4.8. You know, I think it's always a good idea to revisit and to consider our mission statement. I think any organization is wise on an annual basis to look at why it does what it does. And that can be true of anything from a business to a school and especially to God's house, to, to the church. And so two weeks ago, Aaron kicked off our uh, series on revisiting our mission to really understand the why of why we exist. And we've made that, I think, extremely clear by the vision that's already been cast. We are going to try to have every person we encounter encounter a deeper relationship with Christ, and we're going to do this by inviting, through sharing, and through serving. And so last week, Mike did a great job laying out the invitation piece. And what's interesting about the invitation piece, and I think we all know this just based on study after study that's been done, if a child, by the time they're 18, hasn't made a decision for Christ, do you know that the odds of them actually receiving Christ after they're 18 go markedly down? You're familiar with that, probably, that it's so important for us, especially with young kids, to reach them with the gospel while they're still impressionable and they're still in our care. Because if they leave us unprepared or they leave us without that knowledge of faith in Christ when they're 18, it's, it's a lot less likely that they're going to find that in their adult lives. Except for this good news. This was a survey that was recently taken, and I think it is very timely for us to consider there was a large longitudinal study that was done throughout churches across the United States, all of them with the similar trait of they are growing. They could be small, growing bigger. They could be big, growing bigger. And what they did is they surveyed people who newly came to Christ over the last two years. We're talking thousands and thousands of people. And do you know what the number one reason or the number one cause of them coming to Christ was? The very first step that was taken. Can you take a guess at what that was? Somebody invited them to church. 86% of the respondents who responded, and we're talking thousands of newly developed Christians, newly born Christians, thousands of them, 86% of them said, our first step was somebody, a friend or a family member, invited me to church. That's pretty stunning. Now, that's not to diminish the music that's not to diminish the message. That's not to diminish the, the community that's developed. That's part of the process. But it starts with the invitation. And Mike talked about that last week. Inviting is really important. But it's also important for us to consider what are we inviting them to. And that's where the giving, that's where the tithing, that's where the growing comes into place because we are giving sacrificially of ourselves to help build a community that we want people to be a part of. And as it was mentioned two weeks ago in, in, in the message two weeks ago that Aaron give, gave, we want excellence in everything that's done. 
and we need everybody together pulling, and we need everybody together giving, and we need everybody together to do that. Any local church has to survive that way to fulfill that mission. And when that happens, that's when the flywheel really starts to turn. Because people young in their faith mature in their faith. And when, when people become more mature in their faith, the stronger the body gets. And the stronger the body gets, the more it grows. And it just replicates and replicates and replicates. It's, it's, it's the blueprint. It's how it's done. But through that process, there's a second piece of this that we want to talk about this morning. And that is the whole idea of sharing. How do you share your faith? How do we equip each other to share the gospel? Now, there are many different ways that we can slice this topic. And I thought of all the different routes that I could take in giving this message this morning, and I decided to take a really big macro view of the idea of sharing the gospel. That is a big picture view. And it's the big picture view that I believe that the apostles had to teach us and why it's our responsibility to share our faith in that way. You see, sharing our faith is rooted, and I really want, I really want to impress this today, it is rooted on our worldview that we have that goes all the way back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his only son that whosoever shall believe shall have what? Eternal life. We have to see every person we encounter the way Jesus, who came and died for our sins, sees us, who sees them, and that is through love. We have to follow the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us, and that is to love God and love our neighbor. That's our worldview. And I got to thinking a lot about this just in this past week, because this week we had um, just the amazing invitation of a man who came to school who was a Holocaust survivor. 21 months at Auschwitz. There are less than 50 current surviving Holocaust, not Holocaust, Auschwitz survivors left in the world. And after seeing his presentation and what he experienced and everything he went through, the question always comes up, how in the world did this happen? How did it happen? How did we get to a point in a modern world where something like this could happen to an entire group of people? Now, books and books and books have been written about this. I'm not going to get into all the depths of it, but what I can simply tell you is this. That began to happen not the day that people started going to the camps, but 20 years before when laws began to be passed that slowly and quickly took away the rights of those Jewish people. That's where it began. And little by little, more of their humanity was taken and taken and taken until finally, at some point, it made sense to go ahead and do something like this. And one of the greatest lessons we learned through that whole experience in history wasn't just what people did, but it's how many people did nothing. Because it played into some of the same anti-Semitism that a lot of people in that time and in that area felt. And so it was easier to turn your back and not put yourself out to try to help a neighbor, and slowly but surely this thing got away. And the result is six million people lost their lives because of it. And so when we start thinking about it in those terms, sometimes we start thinking in terms of those people. That's the greatest lesson, I think, that we take from the Holocaust. Those Jewish citizens in Europe in that time became those people. Now, on a much smaller scale, I have a challenging question for all of us today. And that is simply this. Do any of you harbor thoughts or feelings toward those people of some kind? 
This is the macro view I want to give that's going to get us back to sharing the gospel. And I want you to be honest with yourself as you think through this. Maybe those people include fill in the race. Maybe those people fill in the economic class or a family or somewhere in a community. We have those people in mind. And here's the problem when we start seeing people as those people in that way. It separates us from them. And Jesus came to this earth and he died for our sins to unite us. So that's an important place that I want to start today. I want to start with what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28. He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples, and here is the key word, of a few nations, of a handful of people you probably could get along with, of a handful of people you like. No. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So Jesus gives us this promise. Each of us goes. We take our talents, we take our time, we take our treasures, and we work to share the gospel. And Jesus promises, as you do this, I am with you always. I'm with you, Mike Cahill, in Nepal, (laughs) as you are suffering through what you're suffering through. I am with you in your workplace when maybe it's a little hostile toward your faith. You stay bold, and I'll stay with you. You keep sharing in my humility and my love, and I am with you forever. It's an amazing promise. And so if we as the local church are going to take this commission seriously, then we have to reconcile in our minds and in our hearts that the only those people are those people who have not received the good news of God's saving grace. Those are the those people. And they are those people who Jesus directly commands us to love and to share him with. Now, later in this message, I'm going to give a simple litmus test, and we're going to use those two verses that I asked you to write down. We're going to use those as a simple litmus test to help us guide ourselves through our thoughts, through our actions, toward the daily calling that we're given as Christ's followers. You see, and I'm going to give you just a moment of complete honesty here. I can really relate to Paul when Paul says that he is the worst of all sinners, Because I'll admit, there are times in my own thoughts where I get frustrated, and I get angry, and I get disappointed, and sometimes I let those thoughts turn into even more negative thoughts, and the things just start spinning and spinning. And those negative thoughts separate me not only from the love of Christ, but sometimes they separate me from other people. You see, part of living a life of faith and obedience is changing those recordings in our heads. Part of reaching out to someone who doesn't know Jesus is to help them change the recordings that are in their heads. So I want to start with two fundamental questions that we must consistently and continuously ask about ourselves and then see and see how that helps us see the world around us. And those two questions are this. They're right in your notes. Question number one, who am I? And number two, what is my purpose? And I want to share with you a couple of important verses, especially if you're new to church today, if it's been a long time since you've been in church, or maybe this is the first time you have been to a church, this is important for you to hear. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, and I set you apart. 
I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then in the New Testament, Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Can I share this with you? I'm not sure what tapes play in your head or have played in your head or what people have said to you in your past, but I want to share with you this morning the good news of the gospel is simply this. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you, and he's inviting you into life with him. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. That invitation is for you. And I think that's part of what we hammer every single week. Every local church should be consistently, constantly talking about the hope that only rests in Jesus Christ. That's important. But it helps us understand who we are. It's not the narrative that someone else has told me or told you. It's what God is telling you. He says, I created you, I made you, and I made you for a purpose. This reminds me of a young lady that I taught Many, many years ago, um, when I was at Westwood, I had uh, the great pleasure of uh, getting to start an AP history class. So it was for college credit, and I had a wonderful few years of working with students in that context. But there was one particular student I'll never forget, uh, extremely bright, extremely talented, but there was an edge to her. She was angry (laughs) a lot. And so that would sometimes manifest itself in, in our class. And sometimes she would kind of spout off or she would say something inappropriate. And so finally, one, one day after school, I finally just kind of called, called her out on it. I said, what is wrong with you? Maybe it wasn't the best way to do it, but I was young at the time. But I said, what's going on? What, what is wrong? And she got a little quiet and she kind of put her head down. And finally, she just said to me, you know, Mr. Thelander, you're just not going to understand. And I said, well, Give me a shot here. Tell me what's going on. She says, you're never going to understand what it's like to be poor, white, trash. And I I just, that kind of stunned me a little bit. I said, what are you talking about? She said, every day I go home and all I hear from my mom is, why are you even bothering taking a class like this? You're not going to do anything with your life. She constantly puts me down. She calls me names. And she went on and on and on and on and on. And once she finally got all of that off of her chest, I started to realize just what kind of tapes were playing in her head. And I know I reached for a cliche at the time. It's the best that I had, but I just remember saying to her, I'm going to tell you something, God doesn't make trash. And from that point on, we still struggled through the year. She still battled the recordings in her head. She still battled that relationship. But what I came to understand was her mother was in a very similar situation years before, and so the thing was just cycling She was frustrated and angry, so hurting people do what? They hurt other people, and so this was a cycle that you saw. And it was heartbreaking because this was a really bright kid. Well, here's what I think. I think that there there are a few things that are more tragic than a child who feels no hope. Because here's what happens. Those children who feel no hope grow into adults who have no hope. They have more kids who they raise to have no hope, and that cycle just keeps going. And the only hope that we have to offer that sustains this really difficult world is the hope in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to tell you something exciting now that came up. Years later now, fast forward, I get a text. Because this young lady started dating a a boy who had a very godly father. And that very godly father looked at this girl differently than her mother looked at her. And all of a sudden he started changing the recording in her head. He started filling her with confidence. He started filling her with love. He started filling her with the promise of salvation. And not only did he lead her to Christ, but I got a text message about a month ago, Jeff, 
we're, uh, we're going to have a wedding this year. And we're excited to share that with you. And learning where she came from, from where she was, was an unbelievable story. But it happened because somebody, a God-fearing, God-loving person, took the time to invest in her life and change those recordings in her brain. That is sharing the gospel in real time, in real life, with real actions and real words. You see, we share the gospel so that we can offer the one hope that sustains in a very broken world. That Jesus Christ died for every single one of us. And he died for every one of our sins. And because he died for us, he invites us into a new life, not only on this earth, but to an eternal life with him. And that's the hope that only Jesus Christ offers. And that's the hope of the local church. That's what we have to offer. That's what we have to share with every single person who needs that message. So, I'm going to go to these two verses that I shared with you, because we're going to get very practical right now. I want you to have something that is extremely practical to work with as we move from sharing into serving. These two verses. We did a study of Acts not too long ago that took us through Resurrection Sunday. And we understand through Scripture that when we accept Jesus Christ, when we are baptized into him, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is very clear in Galatians 5.22 that these are the gifts that the Spirit brings to us. And I'm going to read them to you. The fruit of the Spirit, that is what we produce. I love the fact that Lyle chose that communion meditation because it's all about reaping what we sow. It's about growing the fruits of the Spirit. That's what we're all about. Listen to what these fruits are. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul writes, against such things there is no law. Now I'm going to ask you a simple question, a very practical question. Would your life be appreciably better if most of the time you were involved with things that produced love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? From a very practical standpoint, it creates a much more joyful life. But I want you to compare the opposites of those right now. How many times instead of love do we choose fear? How many times instead of joy we choose to be miserable? How many times instead of peace we look for conflict? How many times instead of having patience we become impatient? Instead of kindness we're mean-spirited. Instead of goodness we choose evil. Instead of faithfulness, we have doubt. Instead of gentleness, we show angry outbursts. And instead of self-control, we have a looseness to what we say and what we do. You see, what we are thinking and how we are acting is what we're sowing. It's what we're truly sharing. And so if I'm standing up in front of a group of staff members and I humiliate somebody because I have the authority to do so and I can do that to them... Guess what my witness looks like when I'm trying to share Christ? I have to follow. This is my guide. My life, our lives should reflect the fruits of the Spirit. Now here's the deal. Because we're human and because we are not perfect, we're going to make mistakes here. And that's where the grace of Jesus covers. But to the best of our ability, we have to think seriously about sharing. And in order for us to share, we have to have the credibility to share. No one's interested in our faith 
if we don't show an interest in loving them. It's just that simple. It's relational. It's who we are. It's what we say. It's how we think. It's what we do. I want to give you the second verse because this is a way. That's a way to help guide our actions. And I really think every single day, just to spend a few minutes, if it's that chair time, if it's time at your dinner table, but, but every day just drill Galatians 5.22. Did my day produce this? Was my day filled with these qualities? Over time, I think that grows inside of our spirit. Think about our thoughts in, in Philippians 4.8. Mind you, being written from prison, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. So what percentage of my thoughts, and we have millions and millions of thoughts every single day that register through our brain, they just run through our brain constantly. What percentage of those would we put under the excellent, praiseworthy, true and noble category? These are serious questions because they have everything to do with our ability to credibly share the faith of a Savior who died for us, self-sacrificially, out of complete humility. Does my life, do my actions, and do my thoughts reflect what Jesus taught on that cross? It's that simple. And yet it's not, is it? Because we struggle. We go onto Facebook and we see some posting, and it takes a shot at somebody we care about or something we care about, and we get all mad. You know what? Get off of Facebook then. If you can't use it for what is excellent and praiseworthy and true. Simple. And yet sometimes it's not. We need the grace of Christ to cover. So I want to share with you just a couple of reasons why it's important. And then I want to give you one more practical step before we close today. Here are the two reasons that we share. When we accept the fact that Jesus died for our sins. When we accept the fact that he is our Savior and we make that choice to follow him, there are two reasons that automatically come for why we need to share that with other people. Number one, we share out of obedience. Jesus is very clear. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey. We are called to do this out of obedience. Acts 1.8 says, You will be my witnesses in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And John 20.21 20, says, As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, I am sending you. We share out of obedience. That's, that's number one. But we also share out of gratitude. I want to share with you what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For Christ's love compels us. It pushes us. It guides us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And in Acts 4.20, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You know, this week I'm going up uh, with a group of, of students um, to a cancer center, a research center. And this was a, a doctor who came and spoke to four or five different groups of students um, this past uh, fall. And they're doing a lot of cutting-edge research on cancer. And when I think of all of the lives that have been impacted by cancer, if someday something came out that there was a cure for cancer, can you imagine the celebration? 
Can you imagine how word would trumpet out all over the place? Why don't we treat the gospel the same way? This is something that's going to offer eternal life. Let's trumpet it. Let's get the word out. We are compelled to out of the excitement and gratitude of what Jesus has done for us. He's died for our sins. And now we, in turn, have the opportunity because he saved us. We have an opportunity to share that with those who don't know him. We do it out of gratitude. So a little practice run in just simple evangelism. Very practical things, I think, that that work. Things that any one of us can do. And they're not difficult. They don't put us in uncomfortable spots. They don't make us look weird or funny. They simply are practical ways that we can lovingly share the good news. I believe, first of all, it starts with our relationships. And we need to be constantly building relationships that go laterally and that go vertically. If you follow Paul's mission trips... He was never alone, alone. He was constantly building other people, surrounding himself with other people, and they were continuing to do the work together. We need to be conscious about building lateral relationships in our church. That's through our life groups. That's through the community that we develop here. We do this together. We have to also be very conscious about building vertical relationships. Somebody who's been a little further ahead than me, I want them to be someone who's going to help guide me. Just like I want to have the responsibility to help guide somebody who's maybe newer to their faith. And so we think about a a way to develop those relationships within this body. Relationships that are both vertical and lateral. Next, and we don't have to be expert speakers here. We don't have to have all the theology in place. We simply have to have trust in the Holy Spirit for the words and the timing of how and when to share the gospel to maybe someone who hasn't heard it yet. It has to start with building a relationship with them. It's building trust. And what I've learned in the, re- in the closest friendships that I've developed is there's going to come a point in time in those relationships where enough trust is built, where there's a trust that something can be shared that's very personal, very deep, very difficult, very hard. And it's in that moment of trust where a window of opportunity may be open to simply say, where are you at with your faith? Where are you at with Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he died for you? And in a very opportune moment, through friendships and relationships that we build, we will be presented, when the time is right, the opportunity to to personally share the gospel, to personally invite to church. And that's how we share. We may tell our story. We might tell about our decision to follow Christ and the arc of our lives once we made that decision and how that changed our lives, how it literally saved us. And we can tell how Christ impacts our lives. See, we all have this thing in common. We spend a lot of time thinking about what we have to do. And there are a lot of faith practices that talk about what you have to do in order to receive eternity. Christianity doesn't go with the do. Christianity teaches us what's been done through the blood of Jesus, what he did on that cross. And every single one of us is invited to that table. And once we've made that decision, every single one of us, out of obedience and out of gratitude, are excited to go and share that with everyone else who hasn't heard that. But I go back to my original point. We have to view the world. We have to view the people around us the way Jesus did, and that is with love. That is with grace. And that is with a desire to build relationships with them. So... We never forget the fruits of the Spirit. They are the bridge, I believe, to not only living a life truly victorious and fulfilling, 
but they are also the only conduit that we're going to have to build the relationships we need to build, to share the gospel, and to continue to share what Jesus has done for this world. It starts with us. It starts with our example. That's where sharing begins. Now, I want to close with this before I pray. On the back of your sermon notes, I'm inviting you to do this. And I'm taking the same challenge for myself because I'm going to be speaking on sharing, or excuse me, serving next week. We all need to be thinking about not only the church's mission statement, but within the church there are the personal mission statements. Um, I heard a great speaker. If you've ever heard of Dave Asprey, he uh, is writing a lot of books called Bulletproof. Bulletproof diet, bulletproof life, bulletproof, bulletproof. The whole point that he's getting at is you can't have success in anything without a blueprint, without a plan. You have to be intentional about what you choose to do. So if we're going to be intentional about being a church that is inviting and sharing, not only do we have to have that vision, but we have to encourage each person who's part of this body to develop their own personal mission statement. And so here's what I want you to do for the week ahead. And I'm working on mine as well. I want you to think about these three things. You can write them down right now. Every one of you has been given talents by God. I'm telling you, every single person in this room auditorium has been given talents by God. Many of them are unique talents. You have talents. Number two, in some, to some degree, you have some kind of treasure. Some kind of treasure. And number three, every one of us has opportunity to influence. Now, if you took the collective time, I'll start, excuse me, the collective talents, you took the collective treasure and you took the collective opportunities of every single person from every walk of life in this auditorium, and we started to focus on how we could leverage that and use that to further the kingdom, to share the gospel, that becomes pretty powerful. So while we're talking about the church's mission, we would be remiss to not challenge each person to think of your own personal mission as part of that movement. So that's what I want you to think about for next week. Next week, by the time we finish um, the message on, share, or on serving, I'd like us to each have a rough outline of our personal mission statement as it comes to our following of Jesus Christ and the call he gives us to share the gospel with others. So hopefully there's some practicality with this along with some vision things that are involved, the things that Aaron and Josh have been talking about. These are the things that we want to make very practical and very helpful to everybody, not for the sake of anyone individually, but for the sake of the kingdom for the sake of our call to share, to serve, to invite, to love God and love our neighbors. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we are thankful for this morning. We are thankful for the blessings that you have provided each of us here today. We could all take a long walk today and just start listing off uh, just all the things that we have to be grateful for. Um, but Father, we also know that in this life we face a lot of challenges. We face a lot of uh, difficult times. And Father, that's when we lean on you. That's when we have this body of believers around us uh, to help us walk through tough times, to help us celebrate the exciting times. And Father, we're all, we're all living missional lives. Whatever you've called us to do vocationally, whatever family you've put us in, whatever neighborhood, whatever community, Father, you're calling us, each of us, to personally be a testimony to your saving grace, to the work that you did on the cross. Father, we thank you for that gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of grace. And Father, it's out of obedience 
and it's out of a sense of gratitude that we want to take it up a notch. We want to share more. We want to serve more. We want to invite more. And we lean on your Holy Spirit to help us with the timing and the words and the ways in which that's done. I thank you for the people who are here today, and I encourage each one of them to begin to think about just a personal mission statement, ways that they can use their talents, their time, their opportunities to influence their treasure in ways that are going to further advance your kingdom. I thank you for your blessings, and I thank you for every day you give us to live under your guidance until the day we all come home. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.